Starting with this notion of, okay, have you ever, right, experienced pressure coming at you and gone, you know what, I, I give up. I don't know. I don't want it. Let me go in a different direction. Or have you experienced the other side of it with a little bit of pressure actually helps you transform in really positive ways, helps you live into things, helps you make decisions in ways that you never thought possible, you never even considered, but they become a moment of blossoming for your life. Right There's the type of pressure that feels like you're at the bottom of the ocean with 5,000 feet of sea above you, and it just keeps leveling. And then there's the type of pressure that comes when coal is made into diamonds, when something beautiful is made. Like even with the mountains of how the mountains slide, the tectonic plates slide and pressure, and we get these beautiful mountains growing in front of us. And so how do we have God's grace in our life in such a way that it begins to mold us and shape us into those diamonds, brings out that beauty, uncovers, lets us grow like the mountains? And how do we deal with the pressures of life? Because they're going to come, right? The pressure that comes and it feels like the sea is just weighing us and we don't know if we're going to make it. So for today, we are going to get into Matthew, the 13th chapter. And we were in Matthew 13 last week, and so we're continuing on that, and we're looking at a couple more parables. But to begin to really go, okay, what does this mean of how does God's grace impact the pressure of our lives? How does it begin to mold it and shape it in such a way that the beauty of pressure the beauty that can be created by pressure instead of the decimation that it can create. So starting in Matthew, the 13th chapter, verses 24 through 27. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. While, while people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalk sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landover came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? All right, so the beginning of that, the kingdom of heaven is like, right? And Jesus is using parables because they have multiple layers. They reveal things to us, especially depending upon where we are in our lives. And here, thinking about the kingdom of heaven, it means God encompasses us in every facet of life, our entire life, every aspect, every facet, situation, complexity, God encompasses it. And so how does God encompass it in such a way that we are growing, that we are able to grow and be like connected to God, even while the whole thing about the weeds are growing? That sense of, okay, all kinds of things begin to grow amongst us, right? If we go through life, we absolutely will have to deal with the weeds of like anger and despair, of hopelessness, of struggling with responses, right? What are the weeds that can shape, that can start to grow in our life that maybe 
they kind of start to grow and even try to take over that love of God, that grace of God, that sense of mercy and forgiveness. Sometimes it can be the weeds of being judgmental, of getting into that system of I'm right and you're wrong. Those weeds that begin to push aside and try to diminish God's love and grace in our lives. And so here, Jesus is giving them something to really contemplate of like, okay, well, who makes, who planted those weeds? And Jesus is like, it wasn't God. And it's kind of one of those moments of going, oh, Jesus here is giving us an example of what happens when we have free will, when we make choices, right? There are moments where despair is going to pop up, where something we don't know, where fear is going to kind of enter in, but do we cultivate it and let it grow like a weed? Or do we go, nope, I'm having no part of that. And so this moment of going, okay, what are the choices that I make? What are the beliefs that I have? What are the things that maybe are really not so healthy for myself in allowing God's love to be grown and cultivated in my life, right? So it's really getting us to take some stock of those things that could be weeds, those things that maybe they don't see problematic now, but they begin to grow and they get a little bigger and they get a little bigger and then they begin to take over and to recognize how we allow space for that and what kind of needs to happen, right? Like what needs to happen with the pressures that we face in life, whether it's from someone else or from ourselves, that maybe are unhealthy like the weeds, not the ones that help us grow, not the ones that maybe can facilitate some growth, but what are the pressures that we allow to seep in to kind of keep at us in such a way that it stymies us in growth, that it makes us just want to crawl into a hole. It, it makes us feel like the sea is weighing on us. What are the pressures that we place upon ourselves or that other people place upon us that maybe, you know what, that's not good. We don't need to let that grow. Continuing on in verses 28 through 30. An enemy has done this, he answered. The servant said to him, do you want us to go out and gather them? But the landowner said, no, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, first gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned, but bring the wheat into my barn. All right. So the recognition, we begin to recognize what's kind of growing in our lives and then this sense of harvesting. And depending upon the crop, harvest can happen at all kinds of times of the year, depending upon what it is. And so to begin to think about that harvest in our lives of when we realize something is growing into our life that really needs to be removed, that we, you know what, no more. And we talked a little bit last week about this image of fire and about how it can be an image of letting go, like we burn it, like we say, no more, I want no part of that, we throw it, we let it go. 
And then there's another image of fire is that of refining us, of going, okay, that refiner's fire that makes beautiful jewelry, that, that brings the beauty out of the glop of metal, that actually strengthens iron into steel that can build buildings and skyscrapers. And so here, the recognition of going, okay, what is it that has grown in my life? Because a harvest can come at any time. What can come and what needs to go? What are the pressures we say goodbye to? What are those beliefs, perceptions? What are the things that keep us from experiencing God's love and grace, that keep us from experiencing peace in our lives? Now, verses 31 through 35, he told another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through all the dough. Jesus said all these things to the crowds in parables, and he spoke to them only in parables. This was to fulfill what the prophet spoke. I'll speak in parables. I'll declare what has been hidden since the beginning of the world. All right. So two more parables that are hitting on what does it mean for God to encompass our lives? How is God's grace encompassing? How does it shift us and mold us? And here we get some ironic kind of things. It's an overstatement. All right, yes, a mustard seed is tiny, but it doesn't grow into a large tree. It can grow into a bush, but it probably can't actually literally sustain birds. But here that's, that's not the point. The point is that it grows. The point is that the kingdom of heaven is like that God's grace as it encompasses our life begins to grow and it grows to the extent that others can take light in it. That like the birds can nest safety, peace, security, that we become known as, as we allow that grace to encompass our lives, we become known as those who encompass grace, who can extend it, who are able to extend forgiveness, who are able to show that love to others. And so others come near. So something tiny, massive impact, something we think today is insignificant, tomorrow may not be. And so it's like these little steps of growth of going, all right, what's next? How can I better connect to God's love in my life? What can it give life to? How can it grow beyond what I thought was evil? Then we get the second parable. And the second parable, it's like all of this flour. You get a whole, a whole bushel of flour, which is kind of like 50 pounds, and a little bit of yeast works through the flour. The woman puts the yeast in and the yeast begins to work, which is like the kingdom of heaven. It kind of begins to work through our lives. That something so small can begin to work through and bring new understandings of how God encompasses where we go, wait a minute, that's what joy is. Oh, okay, that's what it means to have peace. Oh, that's what it means to be hopeful, to have a joyous spirit, to be that encouragement to others, to be healing 
for others, not just for ourselves, but that it goes well beyond. And so this sense of growing from something tiny to something large, but also being able to work through large, vast amounts of something, to be able to work through our vast amount of lives, our complex, our pressures, of being able to go, wait a minute, I recognize that because we have pressures from things that are good and then we have pressures that shape us and mold us. We have pressures that come from things we can't control, from natural disasters, from other people's choices, from things that feel absolutely and are devastating. And so if God's grace is working through us, even when those awful things are happening, even when life is not what we want it, when we are frustrated by those pressures of life, that we can allow God's grace to begin to work through us in ways that we hadn't thought possible, that we may come to new understandings and new actions and new ways of engaging with others, that it was just at one time, it had never even been on our radar. Because the pressures of life are going to shape us and mold us, and we are going to have positive ones, and we are going to have negative ones, and everything in between. But even with those ones that feel so detrimental, that are not healthy, how do we begin to go, wait a minute, God's grace is still there in that. God's grace encompasses that aspect of my life. And so how is grace and love going to work through that? How do I begin to change the way I'm living based upon that instead of only being changed by the negative? Continuing on in verses 36 through 40. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the one who plants the good seed is the human one. The field in the world is the world. And the good seeds are the followers of the kingdom. But the weeds are the followers of the evil one. The enemy who planted them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the present age. The harvesters are the angels. Just as people gather weeds and burn them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. Okay, so here we get the disciples going, all right, we need further explanation. They had already done this earlier in the chapter, earlier in chapter 13. They had asked for help. They had been like, I don't know quite what this is. What are you doing? What are we talking about here? And Jesus had given them an explanation, one explanation, you know, just to kind of start them off, get them questioning. And here they're questioning again, which is really good. They need to get at, all right, how can we understand different aspects? And so here Jesus begins to explain. Now, where it gets kind of weird for us, probably in this day and age, is that some of this language has a whole lot of baggage, especially the words evil one, enemy, the devil. And we're like, yeah, I really want to check out at this point. I really don't care what you have to say. But hold up just one second, because here, here we could understand this in the context of what is evil. Evil is when we wrap our lives around something so tightly, and that something 
can be anything. It could be material, it could be money, it could be power, it could be a belief system, it can be uh, the sense of being right, it could be vanity. I mean, it, it could be a number of things. But we wrap our life around it so tightly that we will destroy our own lives and anyone around us. And we see this in the news. People will wrap themselves so tightly around something like money that they don't care whose lives are destroyed. They don't care that they've wiped out people's retirements. People have lost their homes, right? Hasn't been that long since we saw a whole lot of that happening. We see it with the people, with the people who are struggling in Ukraine. The people of Ukraine are experiencing evil. We see it in a number of ways. We notice it when we see the insidiousness of racism taking hold. Evil is when we wrap ourselves around something so tightly we are willing to destroy or anyone else around us. All right. So then Jesus moves into the evil one, the enemy, the, the devil. This is the personification of evil. It's like saying, you know, evil is present in this world, and it feels like an entity sometimes. It's like it won't let up. It, it's like it's got this force with it. And so... It's important for us to remember, though, that it is our choice. It is our free will to wrap ourselves around something so tightly that it will destroy us and others, that we give it that force, that people's decisions, maybe not personally yours, but other people's decisions and choices, bring that and give that stuff energy to the extent that it can hurt us. And so here is a moment for us going, okay, I don't think I'm participating in that, but it goes back to what are we allowing to grow in our lives that could move to that? What belief what are we holding on to so tightly? Are we holding on to we have to be right? Are we holding on to a fear or a worry? Do we begin to wrap our life around it in such a way that it could destroy ourselves and others? Now, what's interesting here is Jesus continues in the discussion, and the, the language he uses is called apocalyptic. And this apocalyptic, apocalyptic just means revealing with respect to ends and beginnings. And throughout our entire life, there are all kinds of ends and beginnings, beginnings and ends that happen in all kinds of ways. And so when we are experiencing a beginning and end that is revealing, and with apocalyptic, this revealing language of beginnings and ends, it's very like in your face. It's got you because it's trying to get your attention. And so here Jesus is trying to get them their attention. And it's kind of like the harvest is the end of the present age. 
Okay, so the disciples are like, like, you mean now? And we read that back and it's like, well, like 2,000 years ago. But remember, harvest happens all the time, every year and multiple times a year, depending upon the crop. So it's constantly happening. And the harvesters are the angels. Angels just mean messengers of God. And often they come in human form. Often the messenger of God could be one of us. And so that sense of, okay, it's someone who carries that message of God. And what is the message of God? The message of God is of grace and love. The message of God is of peace and joy. The message of God is one that God is with us. God does not abandon us. The message of God is one of healing and encouragement of caring for one another. It's saying, don't give in to those fears of life. Don't give in to that despair. Don't give in to those frustrations. But instead, allow God's grace to work through those pressures, those situations that we experience. And then it says, just as people gather weeds and burn them in the fire, so it will be at the end of the present age. So there, there again, okay, you know what? There's going to be things we need to let go of. There's going to be things that aren't great for our life that diminish God's love and grace in our lives. And we're going to be able to say, you know what? No more. We can let that stuff go. We can move that stuff out. And then Jesus ends with this, verses 41 through 43. The human one will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause people to fall away and all people who sin. He will throw them into a burning furnace. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Those who have ears should hear. And you may be going, whoa, that what's up with those images? And they will gather out of his kingdom all the things that cause people to fall away and all the people who sin. Everything that trips us up, everything that gets us in the way of love and grace will be gathered up by God and then thrown into the furnace. And you may be going, okay, that took a turn really quick. How is that grace filled? Again, we have to remember the first two images that I talked about with fire being either a letting go or a refining like a refiner's fire of creating something new. But here we've got to know something else. We actually need to know that Jesus really liked to play off of the book of Daniel. And especially with the words of burning furnace. Okay, so those around him would have heard that and been like, wait a minute, are you like referring back to like Daniel 3? which is where the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he takes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He takes them, he's angry and he's spiteful and he throws them into the furnace because he wants the fiery furnace because he wants to kill them. But once they are thrown in, a fourth person appears and they do not die. Their hair is not singed. Their clothes are not singed. God's presence is with them in the furnace. And when they come out of that furnace, they are changed and the king is changed. It's like everybody. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar is like, wow, God is amazing. 
God's presence with them is amazing. And so this image of going, no, even in that, even when the things in life have gotten to us, when we have been dragged into, when we have chosen a path that is directly not connected to God's love and God's grace, God is like holding us together in that fiery furnace, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and say, you know what? You're still loved. I still love you, and you are forgiven. Because here's another important interpretation. Another important meaning of fire is actually related to Stoic philosophy. Stoicism, which was prominent amongst the Romans, the Romans practice it. So they would have known the, the region of Jesus, they would have known something of Stoic philosophy. And Seneca, one of the very famous Stoic philosophers, was actually alive during Jesus' time. That he's But the image of fire, the image of fire for Stoics was related to forgiveness. Think about that. In the previous two images we have talked about of letting go, of refining, which are both connected to forgiveness. And Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness. He often would say, your sins are forgiven. Or even in John, in John 20, he says to them, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And so this moment of going, everything that God encompasses will be forgiven, held. The things we need to let go of, we will be able to do so. The things that need to allow us to be refined, that will happen. And so this moment of going, okay, these images here are meant to encourage and build us up, to give us like a way forward of thinking through, okay, how is God's grace permeating, moving through those pressures of life? How are they pointing me towards forgiveness? How is it pointing me towards a life that's encompassed by God that says, you know what, we can let go of some certain things or we can allow certain pressures to refine us and build us up to make new things possible, to give us new perspectives on relationships, to help us have new conversations, to help us go, you know what, I need a different path in life. I'm ready to go. And God's constantly there going, you have grace and love. Go. My grace and my love are with you. Go. And so this par these parables here are meant to give us possibilities. When we feel the pressures of life coming in at us from all different directions, some of it, we're like, okay, I'm okay with that. And others were like, I need, nope, not okay. And so how will we latch on to God's grace this day? How will we allow God's grace to permeate the pressures of life so that we are able, we are able to grow, we are able to sprout new life, we are able to engage in, one, in relationships with another that are life-giving, not just for us, but for everyone around us. How will we allow God's grace to permeate our lives in such a way that we begin to live those lives of joy and peace? How will we begin 
to live into that grace in such a way that the moment a pressure pops up, the moment we're like, I don't know how to get through this, that we begin to search and go, all right, where is God's grace guiding me this day? How is God's grace going to get me through it? How is God's grace going to change my response to the pressures I experience? Amen. Thank you.